0: It's a good morning. My name is First Strike. And I really thank Dr. Henderson because my husband's family, his grandmother was spearwoman of the Baker Massacre. And so my children are all the way down, um, have a spiritual and your soul tied to the Baker Massacre. And just, uh, I'm just going to go on just a little bit, just a little caveat here to Dr. Henderson's talk that my husband's family since 1913 has been pursuing restitution from the U.S. Army for the horses that were taken from his grandfather, Heberunner. Every generation, now we're the next one, to ask for restitution of stolen property. And in um, 1915, Senator Lane of Oregon um, put a bill out that would, that would just do that. But he sent it to the War Department for, uh, to, to have backup on this. Well, we're still waiting for that. About 10 years ago, my husband and I, were we having this campaign going back and forth, and finally, we got a letter from the U.S. Army, uh, the uh, Department of, uh, whatever it is, Department of Army, I guess. Uh, uh, anyway, they said, oh, it's too far. A uh, hundred and something years is too long. We cannot back this claim up. But Senator Lane had asked that way back when. And they said, well, why didn't they ask for it right after 1870? Well, these were children. (laughs) These were children, for one thing, who who had a traumatic experience. It took them a lifetime, almost a lifetime, to overcome post-traumatic stress, seeing your relatives die, seeing You know, your your all these children, all your all of your family die in one sweep on a cold January twenty-third day, eighteen seventy. So it took them all that time to start looking for restitution. Um, That and we're still with that. And I'm going to be picking your brain, Dr. Henderson. All right, for for what we're doing. You know, I mean, it's not it's not so much as the money. It's that we need to set something right, okay? And that's what we've been trying, and every generation of my, my husband's family have been trying. And then we're getting to that age where we probably will have to hand it off to our children, so the next generation will, will deal with it. But that's what, what we're doing on this side here. Um, with this blood quantum, um, I've been working on blood quantum for quite a while. I and enrolled member of the Blackfeet tribe and it never dawned on me that hey this was this is blood quantum uh, we just, just live with it this is this is our this is how we determine indian Indianness and what we did was um, you know you had your baby go into the enrollment department and uh, give them their birth certificate and sign them up well about 2007, a group of my relatives got together. And there's just how we conduct a meeting is we visit, yeah. <laughs> talk about family. <laughs> well, yeah, this happened way back then. Talk about family. And so it dawned on us that say, hey, man, this, uh, this, uh, we were missing people. We were missing people in our family. You know. Until that time, I didn't even know my great-grandmother's name. She was just gone. And, and then finally, someone in this little group of women, there was um, uh, six of us that were descendants of Bullshoop. And we, we, it was just basically waiting for another meeting. And so we just visited. And then we started having these meetings coming together. And, um, I had no idea who my, even the name of my grandmother was. And so, at, uh, during August of that year, um, well, we had all these meetings and we start telling stories and we told people's histories and how this woman, or how these women or these men in our family, how we're related to these people and how we're not related to those people, but we know them all over our lives as part of our family. Went to Fort Shaw, they were having their 125th um, commemoration. And I was going, okay, I know, someone told me in this meeting that Cecilia Russell Bullshue, our our great-grandmother, had gone to Fort Shaw. And so I went, put on my dress, went to Fort Shaw, told my husband, I want to go to Fort Shaw. And, I want to walk those places that my grandmother walked. I want to walk those places, the steps of her, on, on the search of this grandmother that I, I didn't even know her name to begin with. And so he, he took me there. And I was there and we were basically the only Indians there. And I went, why? Well, it's a commemoration, you know. <laughs> it's a celebration. And for us, it's not a celebration. Fort Shaw has tragic history has played a tragic part in our history, as Dr. Henderson was uh, talking about that uh, Baker came out of Fort Shaw. Okay, so we we know that. But when we were there, and just a little little thing on that, was that I was, I'm really good at holding court. (laughs) I can really talk, Uh, but um, that's why I'm a politician, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the thing was is that um, I was there, and I was uh, I was feeling good. I, I thought, well, this is where she was and And then my husband, though, had a different experience. There was this table there, and this guy had all these antique guns and and he, he's a gun enthusiast himself, and he's got some sharpshooting guns and all this, and then he has hunting rifles. And then, But he was waiting, and he was waiting for this gentleman to move on so that he can ask questions about some of these guns. And as he stood there, he said uh, he said he was listening to the guy that was giving the presentation, and the guy told, told this je- other gentleman that was in the, at the table was that, Oh, these are the bullets, about that long, about four-inch bullets, big bullets. And he says, but if this didn't get them, and he had a bayonet, this would. My husband's genetic memory to the time of uh, the Baker massacre, he was ill. He just got ill because those bullets and that bayonet was made for only one thing. to kill Indian people. It wasn't for hunting. You don't use that kind of bullet for hunting. So we left there and at that point it it spurred me to start looking. And then I became um, entrenched in Fort Shaw and then I was I was looking and I was going, well, oh, okay. I thought um, blood quantum was uh, a new concept. Where did it come from? Because of Fort Shaw and Willow Creek School, uh, Easter of Browning, uh, Carlisle Institute, of course, all of them had a blood quantum before I even thought there was blood quantum. What is blood quantum? It's a fractionalization of the blood. So it came way, it started way back in European, um, European uh, inheritance <clears throat> law. Okay, that way over the sea. Okay, and um, then it was it was used not for Indians. It was used for um, the blacks. They brought the slaves over. It was used for the blacks. They wanted to see if this this um, black person was free. If and it's the Lineage follows the mother. The lineage follows the mother. And I can't probably the a Latin phrase for it, follows the mother. And so if the child's mother was white, then the child was free. If the child's mother was black, and they determined the mother, then the, the uh, child would remain a slave. So that's where that came from. OK, there's Indians out here, right? Indians so what do we do with these Indians so there's all these court cases and everything from uh, colonial Virginia and all these pipe bumping. you can there's a I wrote a I wrote a paper I wrote, during my research it wasn't really a good paper <laughs> Laura <laughs> but I just wanted to see this because this is part of my own personal research anyway so here's these Indians out here what what are they? Well, they're free. They were here first, so they had to deal with it. So if the if the child was the the child's mother was Indian, the child was Indian, and the child was free. Like, like if the child's mother was white, and that. And basically, it was also just to keep um, those people from. Taking some kind of political office, he couldn't run for anything. Okay, there was a case where a uh, guy was trying to run for I think, town council or something, but then they determined, you know, that his mother was black and so he was not eligible to run for office. So then it comes down to us. So we have treaties. 1855 was our treaty established the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. The Blackfeet Indian Reservation, they, we gave up a lot of land. We gave up half of Montana for education and food and whatever else. But, so we wanted to deal with the Indian problem. Okay. How do we... how We have this trust responsibility. The United States has this trust responsibility through those documents that they have to do certain things for us giving up land. And as they as we went as they went through, so okay, so how do we deal with this? We don't want to give them all this. So every Indian, all of you guys, would have a full a full benefit. But jeez that's costly. And I'm just paraphrasing here. I can be real sarcastic. But um, so how are we going to deal with that? So we're going to figure this out. We have to figure this out. So a full blood? Not a full blood. Okay, so you get a full annuity, or the tribe gets full annuity on my behalf. Okay, so my husband is white, and so my children get half annuity, they marry someone else they get a quarter at one time in 1930 there was only three blood quantums full, half, and a quarter and then it changed by 1932 was it was full three quarters, half, and a quarter okay so the annuity payments to the tribes on my behalf was given this fraction, so I don't get a full annuity, I just get a portion of it if I'm a woman, and married to someone else. Okay, and so that's where we we came, but they were using that same blood quantum fractionalization for these Indian schools, like when, after the military left, and after the military left and they, they turned Fort Shaw into the Fort Shaw Indian Industrial School between 1893, 92 um, to uh, 1910. And when I was looking at those roles, I found that um, they, were, they were using blood quantum because the government paid for their education. Okay, so here we are. Where it's already being used quite a bit, and that, and then I became the enrollment director for the Blackfeet Trial. So, I, being a curious person that I am, I went and I said, "Okay, geez, look at all these fractions. What we had was we had like a, a baby uh, one year, and it was broken out to one, two, three, four, all the way up to." Well, Indians don't live that long, so it's probably about 90. And and then it went down the fractionalization, beginning with a quarter, all the way down to um, I'm minus 55, 64. So that's my blood quantum. That's how much Indian I am. But then we had the full bloods as well. But um, today, there's only 197 Blackfeet full bloods living The last full blood to be born on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation was December 1975. Kinda scary for me. You know? And um, so and then so we go, so those people, what would that be? 30, 40 years? Yeah. So that person is I wasn't I'm not a mathematician, I'm a historian. Okay, so, uh, whatever it was, 40 years, (laughs) that person 40 years old. (laughs) Okay, Uh, and so, um, now here we are sitting here. So, being myself, I went and I sent this to the University of Montana math department, their spatial math, which is basically they look at a, a, a snapshot of this and this, so I sent them all this stuff. Two variables. One variable was, that um, we have an incest taboo we cannot marry into ourselves incest taboo and we also have a quarter blood requirement that's that's a federal that's the federal it's not us that's that's for money that's for the program money that we have that's for education money that we get those kind of things. It wasn't ours, but, and I, and then, so they sent 2055 was theirs about, and they, they needed more data, and by that time I had left my position. 2055 would be the date that the last enrollable Blackfeet child would be born. Enrollable, not Blackfeet child, but enrollable Blackfeet child. Okay, we have a mortality rate. We really have. We have like, like 10,000 people, maybe, on the reservation. We have a mortality rate of approximately 250 enrolled members dying every year. Huge mortality rate. That doesn't include the people that are descendants of the reservation of the, of the enrolled members. So there has to be a lot more. We have a real high mortality rate. And the other portion of it, was that uh, our children are, uh, we are only enrolling at the high, high point, I guess, is 50 children a year. So we're losing more and more members. We don't have that, um, we have like our, our life expectancy is 20 years less than everybody else's. So you see we're in a crisis. Okay, I brought this up to the American Latin American Indian Caucus, which is 12, the most Native Americans in the state legislature ever. Okay. And we were visiting, again, sitting around the table, you know, just talking. Um, and I was telling them, okay, so we got Salish Kootenai, Confederated Salish and Kootenai. We had Rocky Boy. We had Crow. We have Cheyenne representatives. Um, Blackfeet, of course, and uh, Sen- uh, Senator and Sue from Fort Peck. So we're all kind of represented um, in the American, Montana American Union Caucus. So we're sitting there, we're visiting was telling them, oh, you know, start, I start holding court, <laughs> and we are by far the biggest tribe by number on, in Montana. We have 17,000 plus members. But they don't. They are even further along than us. Oh by the way, let me let me let me digress a little bit. Okay, 2055, With our mortality rate, it dropped at ten years. So twenty forty-five would be the approximate date of the mathematical extinction of the Blackfeet tribe. After that we just die. Okay. But that's not what we do. That's not how we determine who's a person of our tribe. We determine by the lineage, we determine by residency, we determine by language, and we, we determine by who we feel is, given all of those three, who is part of the reservation, who contributes to the reservation, who contributes to their people. That's how we determine membership. It's not the the quarter blood that was required by the the federal government. So with that, I just kind of go, okay, we're in a crisis situation. Our fellow reservations are in, they're even closer than we are. Okay, this little group of people is the uh, Tatsy family. Well, let's see, how am I going to do this? Okay, okay. Uh, this is my, my uh, these are all my pictures of my family. Hey, I get to do this, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to show you my family. <laughs> this lady is uh, uh, let's see, I guess, okay, strikes one another, and her husband was um, uh, Bill Russell, who was Lonehorn, and then their two children. And the one, the child on the, um, on the right there, no, let's see, on, on your left, is his name is Henry. And um, there was, uh, you know, these illnesses going on on the reservation, a lot of tuberculosis when these guys were, half when this was taken. Anyway, one of them was uh, pink eye, and I can't think of the word. Chacoma. Uh, yeah. And he got um, drops, he got eye drops for trachoma And it blinded him. And so he was blind. Oh, there it is. <laughs> OK. All right. OK, and I just told you there's 17, approximately 17. Um, on the, uh, sorry I'm, I'm going over this side. I got ahead of myself, am I going too fast? I already have another, sorry. Okay, here's the BIA Black quantum chart, and you can see this is what we used, which is crazy because a- as an enrollment director for the Blackfeet tribe, we still use this instead of software. But all tribes have this, not just us. All tribes have this. This is how we determine um, your blood quantum. So you got a 16th, and you go here, and then you figure out what it is. So you just got. And that's how this is um, how the BIA does that. Does there a thing there? Okay. And I just told you how we have it. Oh, traditions and customs. Um, You know, if I participate and I'm known to participate, uh, then I'm Blackfeet. Can't take that away from me. I'm carrying on the culture and the legacy of my tribe. There's me. Okay. Uh, Okay, I'm sorry. I kind of got carried away there. Okay, here's Cecilia, the little lady I was looking for, I found a picture of her, and that's my grandfather. This is Cecilia, they just got married. This is a, um, this is all of us have this record, all, all of us, and you can see how how it looks, but that's the black, individual record, that's how our records are kept. Through this card and it shows, this is my grandfather, uh, uh, Joseph Bullshoot, in the corners his identification number. 201, every tribe in the United States has a prefix to it. Yakima 214, Blackfeet's 201, and I, I just, I, something like naming the American president, I don't Think about it. I just know that 201's is right? <laughs> and I know a few more. Okay, he was born in 1878 and he died. And you can't see that. His mother was two-bear woman. And this is crazy because he's got two fathers. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> okay, this is my grandfather. This is Charlie Rivas. and his wife, Matumaki. I have her name, my grandfather named me after my great-grandmother, his mother. There's my folks and my sister. There's my grandfather and there's my granddaughter. Um, How do I change this? I just I just want to show you the roles and this is the base roles. everybody had a base role okay so in night uh, okay the general allotment Act was eight, in 1887 well the Blackfeet allotment Act wasn't until 1907 it was 20 years late it was it was very late because they had to deal with the eastern eastern tribes first and then it finally get out here so we had some um, we had some uh, time, so we negotiated a few things, and we, we had this big fight. Uh, they wanted to have all of this uh, land, all of this blood like quantum and all of that has to deal with land. That's my, yeah, it's it's not to deal with anything else, it's how to take our land. and. Um, so, what does what's what's the BIA do? Bureau of Indian Affairs, all they are is land agents, even today, lumbering, they don't do education like they do BIE, there's two, two BIE schools, Bureau of Indian Education Schools here, one is in Busby, and the other one is, uh, uh, what's that, Eagle, Two Eagle River on Salish Kuni. And they're taking that land away, or that money away. So they're not even in the education um, thing at all. Uh, you can see on this. We're going to go by. Uh, this is the base roll. Very few people. Very few Blackfeet have ever seen this, and you get to see it. My grandma. Yeah. <laughs> right top one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and very few black feet have seen it because they like I don't know why they like to keep it a secret. It's our right to see what we have. The thing is, is you'll see on these rolls, and this is a lot of the rolls on every reservation. As you can see, number one, Adams was the first one. And these numbers right here correlate with their allotment. Wait oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. These numbers correlate with their allotment. And so this was the roll. If we go down, there's close to 4,000 people on the space roll. And so you'll see that the date she was born, her identification number 201, guys can see that. And then they'll have her allotment number, her blood quantum, and as you can see, because her husband was not a Blackie, he was Girlmont. Um He's not going to show up on our our rolls because he was not Blackie. OK, so we go down and um, we have, oh, let's see. No, nope. I'm sorry. You guys, you guys got to upgrade your equipment. You got to touch. <laughs> just go, yeah, just go down, just anywhere, stop anywhere that you want to go, stop anywhere. But you see, it's all by um, uh, by their name, and you'll see at some times that they keep, they kept pretty good records of us, but uh, you can stop there. Um, on 63, Anderson Wilbur, he wasn't even, what? It was a quarter-blood well. He lived on the Blackfeet Reservation at the time of this, at the snapshot of this, and so if you go further down, but he's got a Blackfeet enrollment number, and then we have these. Um, <laughs> a lot of times you'll see the, the father here, and they'll put it for season and say this is like this Alvin or Alan Arnold. His father was George Arnold. Um, and they'll they'll put it out there, but sometimes you don't want to know who your relatives are. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know. Hey, I'm I'm really I'm really Uh oh, you know. <laughs> well, it shows it shows it. But this is the enrollment, and I've given you a brief, very brief. I'm teaching at Blackfeet Community College. I teach beginning history. History of the Pikani, I also teach uh, indigenous uh, humanities and, kind of crazy, over oh, that uh, um, economic development on Indian reservations, and, of all things, American government. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what I do. But this is, you guys, just got a little peek into our world. And I know I just went over, I've lost it over because of time constraints for for this venue, and uh, but my students get the whole effect. So um, we're going to be going over this because it's going to affect them dearly. Okay. Oh, sorry. We see we see this all happening already. Okay. So, Native Americans get uh, about $1,800 through the Indian Health Service. PHHS, DHHS. That's part of our uh, annuities, a part of our giving up land, $1,800 a year. But that's only based on tribal enrollment. So our hospital, Blackfoot like Community Hospital, runs on that amount times how many tribal tri- tribal members are enrolled. But we have to provide services to other tri- other people that are enrolled and other, under other reservations. So we have to stretch that dollar like this. The prison system, it's almost $4,000 for their health care. Okay, so this is really important. So we had to work with Medicaid, Medicaid expansion, which we passed this um, session. Our schools, our community colleges, this is affecting them. The thing is, is that we are based, again, on enrolled membership, and that um, uh, when I was on the board of trustees for the Blackfeet Community College, we had, just before that, we had almost 90% of our students eligible for Tribal Control Community College Act funds. That's for tribal, that's enrolled for enrolled members, part of the education, part of our Uh, of trust responsibility of the United States to provide for the education. And when I finished, we're down to about 72%, so we've dropped. In order to keep your Tribal Control Community College funding for those enrolled members, And to continue to be a charter controlled community college, you have to have 51% of your student body enrollable. Salish Kootenai struggles all the time to keep that 51% and keep their status as a charter controlled community community college. We're getting down there because of that. Other things is um, impact aid for schools, for public schools, based. On enrollment, um, that's going down. The largest communities, because, like I said, there's 17,000 of us, but there's only about, well, about 7,000 or so that live on the reservation. Um, that the largest beneficiaries of Impact Aid are the largest cities in Montana, Billings, pitfalls, and Missoula, by far they take the biggest chunk of Impact Aid because they have the most Indians. Um, let's see what else. Um, okay, so we got schools, we got the hospital. Last year was the first year we have a small per capita that we get every year as Blackfeet members. And last year was the very first year that they cut fewer checks. All of these are indicators that we are winding down, mathematically. I'm not saying that we're winding down. I'm saying mathematically being eligible for federal benefits, federal programming. That's that's the issue here, and that's what's happening here, and this was the start of it. Okay, with that, thank you.